Green. Fantastic. Well, good to be with you. Um, uh, let's turn in our Luke's Gospels to uh, chapter 13 of Luke. Luke chapter 13. On this, on this one, it's page 47. Have we all got the same page numbers? Fantastic. Great. Chapter 13, verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who'd lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Uh, you might find it helpful to grab hold of the, uh, the outline, um, just so you see where we're going in the next few moments. Now, on the um, Wednesday, the 25th of October this year, in Maine, New England... You'll remember 18 people were shot dead. On Saturday, the 7th of October, you will definitely remember Hamas terrorists rampaged through the border towns of Israel, killing at least 1,400 Israelis. In the early hours of Monday, the 11th of September, severe floods resulted in two dams collapsing in Derna, Libya, with 20,000 souls being swept away to their deaths. You know, you don't need me to tell you that suffering and sadness is never far away from us. And not only in the news, everyday individuals are victims of crime and abuse. Others suffer debilitating illness and death. The problem of pain is all around us all the time, and it, it raises huge questions. Uh, when the Indian Ocean tsunami on Boxing Day 2004 killed more than, can you believe it, 250,000 people, Melanie Phillips, writing in the Daily Mail, asked, how can you believe in a God who permits suffering on this scale? The same incident caused Martin Kettle to write in The Guardian that while events like 9-11 can be explained as an act of fallen humanity, he said the tsunami was indisputably an act of God and he asked what kind of God would act that way. You see, suffering, and especially on such a scale, does raise questions about the existence of God and the character of God. Can I reasonably believe that there is a God in the light of all this suffering? And if there is, what is he like? To allow this. Now look, there are no easy answers. Indeed, whenever we're faced with tragic situations, we do well to avoid trite, superficial answers. That said, there are things we can say. Suffering and injustice is addressed throughout the Bible. And in our reading today, we see Jesus himself engaging with suffering head on. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, or even if you haven't, um, we've been looking at occasions in this section of Luke's Gospel that while Jesus was speaking, he was interrupted by those uh, in the crowds that gathered around him. He was heckled on a couple of occasions. On each occasion, as we've, we've seen, that Jesus was talking about the most important issues anyone could ever consider, heaven and hell, death and eternity, being ready to meet God. And while he was speaking on these most colossal issues, these interruptions from individuals in the crowds are fascinating because they reveal to us what's really on people's minds. You know, when somebody is speaking, it might be happening now. If you're drifting off, you're thinking, that's what's really on my mind. Now, this week at the beginning of chapter 13, we read verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Do you see what's happening? Jesus is speaking to the crowd, and there was one thing, quite understandably, dominating the minds of some of his listeners. 
It was an horrific act of sadistic barbarism, breaking the rules, uh, all the rules of the Geneva Convention. I know it hadn't been invented then, but all the same. Pilate, the Roman governor, had had some people from Galilee executed, and then as a kind of callous act of religious hatred, he'd mixed their blood with blood from the temple sacrifices. That's what we're reading in verse 1. It was a religious hate crime designed to cause maximum offence. It was an atrocious act that would have sent shockwaves through the land and around the world. It would have left people outraged, undoubtedly been headline news. No wonder it was on people's minds. And no wonder they asked Jesus about it. You see, whenever suffering and tragedy comes our way, we want answers. Of course we do. And the way Jesus answers here is fascinating. But um, before we dive into his answer, to understand what he says, we do very well just to go back a few verses. And this brings us to our first point, interpreting the times. Chapter 12, verses 54 to 56. Um, Again, in chapter 12, Jesus had just been saying to the crowd that they needed to be ready for a day of cataclysmic proportions, a day when God will wrap up history as we know it, a day when the Lord Almighty will hold humanity to account. And then at the end of this chapter, chapter 12, having spoken of that final day of history, Jesus challenged the crowd who were around him. Look at chapter 12, verse 54. Jesus said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there'll be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, says Jesus, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? In short, in this section, Jesus is saying, how is it that you're very good at predicting the weather, but you're clueless when it comes to understanding the significance of the time that you're living in? Look, I think it's fair to say that that, that, the Brits are a tad obsessed with the weather. As I was preparing for this talk, I noticed how many times I greet people with a reference to the current weather conditions. Morning, chilly start to the day today. Oh, hi, how are you? How's your weekend? Did you get caught in that downpour? Oh, I'm so looking forward to some warmer weather. Have a nice day. I'm always commenting on the weather and I'm always checking my, my weather app. And it's not just me. Um, As a nation, it seems, we love the weather forecasts on the television and the radio. But even without our weather apps, even without our weather apps and our weather forecasters' fancy charts and computerised graphics, we know how to interpret the weather. So if I say to you, red sky at night, you will say... Oh, good, you're playing along. Very good, exactly. Uh, We know um, that um, if there's a beautiful red sky this evening, tomorrow will be a glorious day. If I say red sky in the morning, you'll say shepherd's warning. That little rhyme tells us that if we wake up to a red sky, we know that we need to put our raincoat on and have our umbrella to hand. We know how to interpret the weather. That's what Jesus is saying here. And and so it was for those that Jesus was speaking to in in the first century. Indeed, without weather apps and, and weather forecasts on the news, I reckon they'd probably be even better at interpreting the weather than we are. So Jesus said, you see it there, verse 54, he said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you know you need to grab your brolly. And verse 55, when you see a south wind blowing, you know it's time to put your shorts on, get down to the beach and have a barbie. Now Jesus says, you're very good at reading the signs in the sky. So end of verse 56, why don't you know how to interpret the present time? And you'll notice Jesus doesn't, doesn't mince his words here. He calls the crowd hypocrites. Well, that's strong language. 
You see, the issue is not that they couldn't understand the present time, but that they would not. Again, we saw this a couple of weeks ago, many of you weren't here, but Jesus had turned up and given them loads and loads of signs, miraculous signs, signs that, well, quite, quite frankly, you didn't need to be brain of Britain or rather intellect of Israel to understand these signs. His audience, remember, steeped in the Old Testament scriptures and those ancient writings were as clear as the nose on your face in saying that when the long-awaited sire came, he would do, well, all the things that Jesus did. It was as clear as day, or as Jesus says, it's as clear as the cloud rising in the west, or it's as clear as the red sky at night. Jesus was clearly the long-awaited Messiah to have done all these things. These were the signs of the times. He was the saviour of the world. And so the present time, as Jesus calls it at the end of verse 56, the present time was, can I put it this way, Messiah time. And really, you couldn't miss it, unless you were stubbornly refusing to miss it which, as we saw two weeks ago, is what many of those in the crowd were doing, refusing to read the signs. And so, verse 56, Jesus calls them hypocrites. You've worked out how to read the weather, but you stubbornly refuse to read the signs of the times. You refuse to see that it's now Messiah time. Now, again, remember, too, that the way this gospel opens, chapter 3, is that John the Baptist bursts onto the scene. And as John the Baptist comes... He announced that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the Lord, no less. And remember what John the Baptist's message was in John in in Isaiah chapter, in Luke chapter three. His message was the Messiah is coming, so it's repentance time. So again, Jesus is kind of saying here: you look at the weather and you know when it's a rainy season. Well, as you look at me, the Lord and Messiah, you should know it's repentance season because that's what John the Baptist has been telling you. But they refused to see that it was Messiah time and they refused to repent. Now that is a bit lopsided to say the least, you see. Get your weather prediction wrong and you'll get wet and you'll have soggy sausages on your barbecue. Hardly the end of the world. But fail to read the sign of the times and take this opportunity to repent and you'll be catapulted into the presence of your maker before you're ready and that really is the end of the world. You see, that is the backdrop to chapter 13 and now... Someone in the crowd asked Jesus to explain this horrific tragedy that had rocked the nation. And that takes us to our second point, tragic times, chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. Now, again, we thought about this already. Pilate did this terrible thing. Now, Pilate was well known as a vicious and ruthless ruler. But on this occasion, he excelled in his cruelty. Executing these Galileans was not just an act of brutal terrorism. Mixing their blood with the blood of their animal sacrifices was an act of religious sacrilege. It was a a religious hate crime, but on steroids. Uh, News about the atrocity would have reverberated around Israel and around the world. It would have shocked the nation, actually just as the attack of Hamas militia has rocked the nation in these last weeks. Pilate's action was one of kind of raw, naked wickedness. And so as some in the crowd asked Jesus about that horrible act, Jesus now, you see what he's going to do? He's going to interpret the sign of the times for them, exactly what he's been saying at the end of chapter 12. So look at verse 2. He answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all, all likewise perish. 
And then he goes on. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Now, I think this is fascinating. So you see what's going on here. Verse 1, those in the crowd only actually ask Jesus about this Pilate atrocity. But Jesus deliberately introduced a second disaster that was also fresh in people's minds. You'll see it there in verse, uh, verse 4. An incident that had happened in a suburb of Jerusalem called Siloam when 18 people had been crushed when a tower had collapsed. <coughs> now here's the thing. See how different these are. Pilate's crime was a deliberate act of unimaginable cruelty. The collapse of the tower, just one of those unexpected and unforeseen accidents. <laughs> when the tower collapsed, people had been going about their everyday lives, minding their everyday business, when suddenly their everyday had become their last day. No doubt grieving people would have been interviewed on the news, telling desperate stories of their loved ones simply well, simply being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oh, I reckon there'd have also been some good news stories of lucky escapes, you know, of people who would have normally been passing the tower at precisely that moment when it collapsed. But on that particular day, they'd slept through the alarm clock and missed the 6.53 from Bethlehem. And there may well have been stories of, of great acts of heroism, of people risking their own lives to save others buried under the rubble. No doubt many would have called for a public inquiry and played the blame game, blaming the architects or the, the construction company for, uh, for, for shoddy building practices, perhaps blaming the local authority for failing to respond to calls from the public about the building being unsafe. One way or another, it would have been news and much debated. But all the talking aside, at the end of the day, it was a tragedy that left ordinary families bereaved and grieving, and their lives would never be the same again. And again, here's the thing. The collapse of the, collapse of the Tower of Siloam was nothing like Pilate's barbaric act of religious hatred. Here's a deliberate act of wicked horror, the Tower an unfortunate accident. But those two different tragedies in view, Jesus says precisely the same thing, brings them together and says precisely the same thing. Now look, before we look at precisely what Jesus does say, let me stop here for a moment. I think it's really important for us to note that what we read here from the lips of Jesus is not the only thing that Jesus said about suffering and tragedy, and it's certainly not the only comment the Bible has on the subject either. There are many chapters in the Bible addressing the problem of suffering. So as we listen to what Jesus says here, please know there's so much more that could be said and at times should be said but Jesus is doing one thing he's telling us how to respond to tragedy in the light of the times we're living in uh, that's the context of chapter 12 you see he's telling us how to interpret the sign of the times if you will the first thing he says the first sort of sub point under two is the people who died are not worse sinners See verse 2, do you think that these Galileans are worse sinners than all the others, other Galileans because they suffer this way? No, I tell you. Or the first four, the 18 who died when that tower collapsed on them, uh, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. Uh, Jesus knows us so well because this is exactly how we think. Tragedy strikes and we ask, why him, why her, why me? What did they do? What have I done to deserve this? Sometimes we can say that very comment in quite a hurtful, callous and judgmental way. I think of someone I know well who suffered terribly and people who know nothing of the situation have assumed that he must have done something really bad for the things that have happened to him to have happened to him. 
These days, people love to talk about karma, don't they? People with no religious background and certainly no real understanding of Hinduism will talk about bad karma when things go wrong. It's payback for the stuff you've done in this life or a previous life. Jesus debunks that here, that way of thinking. In verse 2, he asks, were the people who died at the hands of Pilate worse sinners than those who survived? No. And again, the same when he thinks about the collapse of the tower. Were they worse offenders? Verse 5, no. And I think that's very helpful because many of us, and I would include myself in this, know people who have died in tragic circumstances and we know they weren't especially wicked people any more than we all are. And that, of course, is the point. That's what leads to the second sub-point on the, on the handout. We are all sinners. The people who died were not worse sinners, but second, we are all sinners. <coughs> Verse 2, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners? No. Verse 4, do you think they were worse offenders? No. Jesus is clear, those who died weren't worse, but we are all sinners. We are all offenders. Now, look, I know it's not very politically correct to talk like this these days, but anyone who's honestly looked into their own hearts knows that there are things in their lives that they're ashamed of. Things they've said, things they've done, things we've thought. Now, believe me, there are things, uh, all sorts of things have gone through my mind that are very ugly. Someone hurts me, I mean, really does something bad to me or those I love, and I want the most terrible things to happen to them. I've imagined all sorts of horrendous scenarios for them. The things that go on my head are, are horrible. Never mind the things that I've said and done. We're all sinners. And no one in Jesus' day would have questioned that. And um, frankly, no one who's really honest with themselves and looks into their own heart will question it today. So Jesus says, the people who died are not worse sinners, but we are all sinners. And so third, he says, repent. It's, it comes twice, you'll see it, the word verse 3 and verse 5. That's what we're to do, repent. And this is how to interpret the sign of the times, you see. Because it's Messiah time, which is repentance season that means it's time to get ready to meet god we're in a, a very specific moment in history a wonderful point in history after the time when jesus the messiah has come and before the cataclysmic moment when god wraps up history as we know it the thing he's been talking about in chapter 12 so between that time when jesus has come and before the time when god wraps up history is a time to repent and be forgiven, and be ready to meet our maker. And here Jesus says, tragedy is an alarm call to wake us up to that fact. Tragedy is meant to jolt us into realizing that we're kind of sleepwalking towards an appointment with God. And so Jesus in his loving kindness says, every time you hear of a tragic event in the world, whether it's a barbaric and deliberate act of pure wickedness or just a terrible accident, Every time you hear of tragedy, it's like a fire alarm. And if we act on it and repent, it'll save our lives for eternity. Uh, see, on, on Wednesday, the 25th of October, in Maine, New England, uh, do you think any one of those 18 people who were gunned down, when they went out to their local bar and bowling alley, do you think for one minute they thought as they left home that they wouldn't return that evening? Or think of those who were massacred at the Supernova Music Festival in Israel on the 7th of October. Do you think that any one of them, when they went off to that music festival that weekend, 
Do you think when they woke up, getting excited about, I'm going to a music festival, dreamt for one second that they wouldn't return back home? Or in the early hours of Monday, the 11th of September, as the, the rain lashed down in Derna, Libya, do you think that when they went to bed that night, it went through the minds of any of the 20,000 people who were swept away to their deaths, that within hours they'd be catapulted into the presence of Almighty God? Of course not. Because we never think it's going to happen to us. We always think we have life. So Jesus is saying, when tragedy strikes anywhere in the world, it's a wake-up call. Could be me. Tragedy is an alarm bell, a, a kind of loving warning for us to get ready to meet God. Because it's repentance season. It's Messiah time. And wonderfully, we can be ready for that day. See, Jesus says we know how to interpret the weather, so know how to interpret the times. Red sky at night, shepherd's delight. Terrorists swarming, it's the good shepherd's warning. A loving warning for us to be ready to meet our maker. And in his loving kindness, Jesus has done everything to make it possible for us to be ready. And with this, I'll close. See, a few verses after Jesus said these words, if you just uh, turn the page, you'll see in verse 22, it tells us he was heading towards Jerusalem where he would die on a cross. And his death, when he died on the cross, of course, his death was no accident. Oh, it was a deliberate miscarriage of justice by Pilate and the re religious establishment of the time. But please note, they were not pulling the strings. Their actions were wickedness, but Jesus died deliberately and willingly in an act of self-sacrificial love to save us from perishing, as he puts it in verses 3 and verse 5. In the um, tragedy of the 2004 Boxing Day Indian Ocean tsunami, there were some remarkable acts of sacrifice. Let me tell you about just one as we close. A man who was safe in the upper story of a hotel saw a teenage girl struggling to cling on to a tree for dear life as the torrent of water threatened to carry her away to a certain death. And the man, who was safe, ran down the stairs of the hotel to help the girl. And as he helped the girl out of the water and to safety, he lost his footing, fell into the water, and was swept away to his death. Now that is just a very tiny picture of what Jesus did for us as he died on the cross. But of course, his death was no accident. He came down from safety, and quite deliberately, he died to save us. He was not a sinner, yet he took the punishment for sin, our sin, so that if we repent, we can be right with God. That's how much Jesus loves us. Now, if you've not yet turned to Jesus in repentance and faith, let me urge you to do it today. Look at the tragic events around the world, and there are so many at the moment in the news. Read the sign of the times, hear the alarm bell ringing, and think I need to be ready to meet with God, because it could be me. For those of us here this afternoon, most of whom I think have taken that step and have repented and have turned to Jesus, when we see tragedy and suffering in the world, it should spur us on to tell our friends and colleagues and neighbours about Jesus because we don't know when it's going to happen for them. And so Julio mentioned the, um, the carol service. Yeah, it would be great to take 5, 10, 20, 25, 50 invitations and invite everyone we know. Because we keep thinking they've got more time, but they might not be around next Christmas. Well, let me hand back to you, Julia.